about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Again, as we've mentioned earlier, we are in the middle of a series uh, called Together, in which we are examining some different aspects of our life together as God's community. We have two icons for this series, one that looks like a house and one looks like a heart. Uh, They reflect the two great prayerful longings we have for this year at church, that many people in increasing number would call this place home. And that all of us would experience our hearts being set aflame by the love of Jesus. Mike introduced us to the idea that we are a spiritual house in the Lord. Not just a suburban backyard house, but a temple being built up in Him. And last week we we looked at how at the center of our house is our worship of the merciful Christ. The mercy He won at the cross for us, and that when we grasp hold of that mercy, our hearts are set aflame, and the center of our life is to be on that. This week, we really want to consider well, how is it that both those things happen? What are the, what's the mechanism to ensure that we're a place that people make home and where hearts are set aflame? And the answer that Ephesians 4 gives is that it takes every single person in God's house using what God has given them to ensure that we are all built up spiritually in God's house. That's what we mean when we talk about serving. Using our gifts to build up this home and our hearts. Now, it's worth recognizing that when we start talking about serving, that A bunch of people in the room will be experiencing different things about that already. Here are some things on the screen that you might be feeling this evening. You may be here this evening and feel like this truck completely overloaded. Like there is just no room and no time space left. And you might be thinking, oh man, Matt's about to give a sermon and tell me to take on another, I don't know, thing of rice. Uh, And I I just can't. Or maybe it's a bit further for you, like this next one. Maybe you're actually not just overloaded, but burned, burned out, hollowed out, either by your last experience of church or by your, your experience of church here. If that's you this evening, it's just, it's just good that you're in church, really, at all. Or, or maybe you're, you're here this evening feeling like, well, I don't really feel like I belong here yet. I don't feel like I'm a brick in this house. I don't feel like I belong here. So how am I useful to God's purposes here? Or you might be someone this evening who's just ready and rearing and ready to go. Show me how to serve. And what I want to say to all of you today is that this is not a sermon about that's going to tell you just go and serve. Instead, what I'm hoping to do in Ephesians 4 is kind of put the frame around serving. Put serving in its glorious context, in its bigger picture, for what God is using our serving to do. 
You see, because the reality is that God wants to use us, me, you, all of us, what he has given us in his glorious purposes to build his church. So I want to build that frame up around serving this evening. And we're going to do it. We're going to look through Ephesians 4. I've got three things to tell you about it. And the first one is this. We are called to community. We are called to community. You see this straight away in in, in verse 1 of chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I love how Paul starts here. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. You know he's going to ask something big of you when he talks about being bound to Jesus. But straight away, I think this opening exposes something in our imagination that really hinders our approach to God's church. And that piece of our imagination is the fact that we are both an extremely individualistic and an extremely consumeristic society. Both those things really alter the way we understand church. If you take those two ideas into church, what what happens is... We picture ourselves as this spiritual, individual journeyer who's on a great quest, like, kind of like a Luke Skywalker kind of vibe. And church is the thing that we consume to give us peace and strength to get to where we need to go. Right? Individuals consuming church for the sake of a journey that God has called us to on our own. But when Paul says, live worthy of the calling you have received, high language, live worthy of the calling, where does he go? He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Straight away, he starts talking about community. You are not on a lone spiritual quest. God has not called you to be a Luke Skywalker. He's called you to be in his church. This is not a stage on the journey, not something to be consumed on the way. This is the destination. To be amongst God's people and to be so close to them that you can smell them, get annoyed at them and need to be gentle and patient with them and then bear the stuff they did wrong to you. To be thick in the complexity of community. He says in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, you don't need to gather community. The Spirit has given it to you. He's bound you together into one humanity from chapter 2, into a common peace. What you are to do is to make every effort to keep that unity. Make every effort. Go all in on the community that Jesus has given to you, that God has made you part of. The Spirit founds it, but we are to go wholeheartedly after it. But this isn't just the Spirit who is involved in our community. The Spirit binds us together into one fellowship, but He leads us uh, and He gives us one hope in the one Lord in verse 5, one faith, one baptism. The Spirit gathers us around Christ the Son in worship as the object, 
Uh, and he, and the, the Spirit and the Father proceed from, verse 6, the one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, the reason why you're in church this evening is because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the eternal community of three, who are forever one, has summoned you, has called you here has called you to be unified with your brothers and sisters, has bound you together with them, that you might pursue a unity with and for them. We have been summoned, called into community by none less than the triune God himself. Now, this is a really helpful fact and idea. Now, this is, uh, if you've been around this service for a while, you'll know that people can come and go a little bit in this place. There's lots of people who've been here over 10 years now, which is amazing. But every year I find myself sad at people who are leaving. And, and some of them are incredible. And I think, are we going to really be able to be a church anymore without that person and that person and that person? And I really miss them. And they made, they made things really great here. And well, to be honest, one of the reasons I, the ways I burn myself in community is I start thinking, well, this thing keeps changing. I've got to hold it together myself. But what this passage says is that none of us, not even me, not even Roger, hold this place together. The triune God does. And because he holds it together, we pursue unity. I was talking to a friend this week uh, who's a pastor in another state, and uh, what has happened in the church he works at is apocalyptic, really. Uh, In in one week, everyone resigned on the staff team except him. and he's in this situation where there's great division amongst lay leaders as well. And it just looks apocalyptic. It's terrible. And I was calling him this week and saying, brother, are you okay? I would be so stressed out. I'd be beside myself if I was you. And he said, you know what? This is one of those conversations that goes differently to the way I expect it. Because I expect to be encouraging and then they encourage me. <laughs> and he said, you know what? I am supremely confident that God will continue to lead this church. And I have a thousand complicated conversations to have, and there are people who are going to leave, but God will lead us through this. See, that's someone who understands that the triune God has summoned them into community. Not them, not anyone else. It's not just a human thing, not a club, but the triune God. And you see, that reality is the reason why he's had a thousand difficult conversations this week. Because despite how messy his church is, God hasn't given up on it, and neither should he. When you realize the triune God has summoned you not to an individual journey, but into a messy community, the way you respond to that is to go wholeheartedly after unity. You go all in on the relationships you have. Are you truly embedding yourself here? Are you truly opening yourself to the people around you? Don't just consume this place. The second thing is this, and I think this is crazy, right? This is nuts. But the ascended, glorious, majestic, sovereign Lord Jesus has gifted you to build his church. The ascended Lord Jesus has gifted you to build his church. That is a nuts plan, right? 
But that, that's what it says here. Verse 7, it says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then in verse 16, From him, Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, there's a space for diversity and individualism in this community. It's almost like the diversity that Jesus gifts and creates serves the unity. Jesus, the ascended Christ, has gifted you, brought you into this community so you can build it. You, with your passions and your story and your knowledge and your background and your mentors and your failures and your successes, who you are summons you here because you, with us, will build this place. What you get in verse 8 is this uh, throwback to Psalm 68 that we read before, which describes a, a king going up God's mountain to the sanctuary and from the sanctuary ruling and reigning. And the Psalms quoted to tell us that that is exactly what Jesus is. Jesus is someone who has ascended on high, leaving captives in his train, pouring out his gifts as victory. He who descended is the very one who has ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Jesus gets exalted to the highest place, the right hand of God, the Father. He fills everything, which means he controls all things. He's sovereign over all things. He is supreme over all things. And what does he do? He gifts mumpties like you and me. That's how he expresses his victory. That's how he expresses his reign. You see, the things that you've been given are little slices of his victory. Are little slices of his supremacy. Are little pieces that he wants to use to reign. And so it says that he gives some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And these five things are kind of foundational giftings. The apostles and the prophets write the scriptures on which the church is founded. There is no other foundation than the scriptures for the church. And then the message of the gospel is proclaimed by evangelists and teachers teach the word of God and teach the gospel and pastors shepherd people in the way of the gospel and in the way of the word of God, right? These are foundational giftings for the church. But did you notice that in the text, that's not enough? And actually the purpose of pastors like me, is to enable you to use your little slice of Christ's victory. The ministry team's purpose is, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, sometimes we want to think, well, if we get the right pastors and we do the right things from the pulpit and we read the right passages of Scripture and we do the right things up front, then we should grow and get awesome as a church. That's just not what the Bible says. The Bible says it takes everyone enabled and empowered by the Word of God and the Gospel to get that done. Leaders are a great gift from Jesus, you know. Joe Charles is a great gift from the ascended Christ. You know, last year when Sally Coombs left, I was super bummed. Uh, she was our 
last, one of our last assistants because I really liked working with her. We'd passed lots of people together. She was totally brilliant. I thought, God, what are you doing? Why are you taking her away? And, you know, it just so happened that in the year when she left, Joe was on home assignment from Chile for just a little bit. And we're like, maybe God did this at the same time. (laughs) And he did, right? God wanted to gift us with Joe Charles for a season. The ascended Christ did. That's how much he cares about this church. But leaders are only gifts as far as they enable others to use their gifts. Because Christ hasn't just gifted me or the ministry team. He's gifted all of us. And this leads to the third thing. This is very, 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 very important. We cannot grow into maturity without each other. We cannot grow into maturity without each other. You see, I expect the verse to go from 11 to 13 to say, get awesome leaders and then God's people will be mature. But it inserts verse 12 and says, God's leaders will equip God's people and then God's people will, ensure, will, will enable the maturing of us into Christ's fullness. Now there's an until and then in this passage. The until is pointing forward to the the final day when we will be fully mature in our faith and our knowledge of the Son of God. But it says even now in verse things that in all things we will grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. You see, leaders are never enough. It takes all of us for us to grow up into Jesus, into maturity. And you might be thinking, well, why? Why, is, you know, why can't we just podcast great leaders, great teaching, and get awesome, right? Individually, we'll have like a program, everyone listens to the right people, the right sermons, go through the whole Bible, everyone will change, it'll be amazing. But the reality that we're faced with is verse 14. Our reality now is that we are infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Why does it take all of us? Because there are too many distractions. There are too many false paths. The way to destruction is way too wide. There are too many ideas that look too sexy. There are too many false gods to follow. There's too many confusing things in life. There's too many twists that are put before us for us to be able to navigate without a community of people around us who are constantly speaking the truth in love to us through all of those situations so that we are steady and anchored in Jesus Christ. It takes people close enough to you who can smell you so that they can speak the truth deeply into your heart and your life. I was thinking about this, and uh, I couldn't go past my favorite quote from Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And talking to a group of male seminary students, he says, a Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. 
His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. I've lost count of the number of times I've become uncertain and discouraged in my faith. Because of life, because of my own sin. But I've lost count of the times when brothers and sisters have come alongside me and said, I know it seems really dark, but Jesus is your good shepherd. I know that it's really confusing and I can't see what's going on, but Jesus is supreme over all. I know you feel trapped in your sin, but Jesus has freed you from it. You know, it takes all of us just constantly preaching the truth, which in this passage is the the knowledge of the Son of God. It's who Jesus is, preaching that truth of who Jesus is into each other's lives constantly in every way that enables us to grow up into our maturity. It takes people all around us who understand that we go to parties and get confused and do dumb stuff. You can call us up and say, you know, Jesus wants more for you. People who, who see our hearts failing under the weight of the conformity to the way the world is, you can say, brother, you're shifting. Come back to your anchor. Do you have brothers and sisters around you who you are allowing to preach Christ to you? Your heart is not as strong as the gospel in their mouth. You know, and if you are feeling burnt and overloaded this evening, you know, do you know the antidote? One of the ways forward to that is just letting your brothers and sisters love you. Just letting them tell you about Jesus. Because in this economy where we need each other to become mature, we can't always be the speakers. We have to also be the listeners. We can't just always be the ones pulling each other up. We have to be the ones pulled up. We can't always be the ones being hospitable. We have to allow others to invite us into their homes as well. You will not become mature unless you invite others to do to you what you want to do to them. But together, doing that, we can grow up into maturity as God's children. It is a beautiful vision for serving, Ephesians 4. You're summoned into this community. You are gifted with a slice of Jesus' victory. And you need the brothers and sisters around you. You need to be dependent on them to grow into maturity. So if if this evening you're feeling like you're on the edge of community and you don't know your way into the middle, I want to say you're already indispensable. We need you. We're weaker without you. If you're feeling overburdened, it's time to realize that Jesus holds the church together and it's okay to lay something off your shoulders. Because he'll make sure it gets done. And if you're feeling burnt, let us love and serve you. But to conclude, there's one really important thing in this passage that we missed. And it's very important to understand that the founding reality of the church really sets the tone for the way everything should work. In uh, 8 and 9, in Psalm 68, Uh, the victor just walks up a hill to victory. But do you notice that the way to Jesus' victory is descent before it is ascent? What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended is the very one who ascended. Do you know what Jesus had to do to summon this community together? He had to go down to hell to bring this place up. Jesus Christ descended to become man, descended to, under the wrath of God on the cross, experiencing hell in order to ascend to heaven and create CIG. You see, when your heart knows that Jesus went to hell to give you your brothers and sisters, that's when you use your slice of his victory to serve them. Let's pray. Father, we want to come humbly today and acknowledge the enormous gift that we are surrounded by this evening. The brothers and sisters that we've been summoned to be in community with, the church that you gave your blood, you shed your blood for this place, you bore the, bore the wrath of, of our Father so that we might live together. Father, we pray, show us the slices of victories in our hands that we might serve one another. Help us to break down the pride that stops us from allowing other people in to speak in and serve us. Lord, for those who are feeling burnt and a bit lost because of what churches they've experienced, Lord, we pray that we would they'd experience in us welcome and love and comfort. And Lord, that you would knit us together and grow us up that we might behold the glory of Jesus and be like him. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.